listening to the podcast edition of One Love, One Planet. listening to One Love, One Planet. If you were expecting Penny Southgate this morning, then I'm really sorry. She's not here. She's having a well-deserved break. But you've got me, Sam Sayer, in the studio. You are listening to BCFM 93.2. And you can get us anywhere. You can get us on the internet. You can get us on your smart speaker. Kind of anywhere, really. So do have a listen. Now, let's meet our first guest. We have in the studio Dave Mitchell and... You represent, you're here representing the group Christian Climate Action. Now, first of all, what is Christian Climate Action? Yeah, so Christian Climate Action is a group that was formed in around 2012, um, I discovered recently, by a group of climate activists who were at that stage involved in what might be called the, the wider climate movement. So they were signing petitions, they were writing to their MPs to try and get some movement on various climate related issues that were coming to the fore. They came together in 2012 with the realisation that some, something else was required, something along the lines of what became known as direct action on climate. And uh, they started doing things like targeting fracking sites, um, turning up um, and, um, yeah, getting involved in a number of things. So, for example, the, the Paris Climate Talks that came along in 2015, um, they, they had a presence there and uh, were you know, hit the media there, and in, not in a big way, and, you know, a few little bits of um, what you might call civil disobedience, um, a few arrests were made. The big change came, I suppose, in 2018 with Christian Climate Action when Extinction Rebellion was born in October 18, and Extinction Rebellion, as everyone knows, um, kind of took over various bits of London in, in 2018 and 19. And they actually invited uh, Christian Climate Action to become part of their organisation. And that, that's pretty much what happened. So from that mm. time on, Christian Climate Action was a part, was like the Christian wing of Extinction Rebellion. And since then has been very much on the same yeah. page. Yeah. And how did you decide personally to get involved? Because yeah. you could have just sat, you know, on the sidelines and yeah. thought to yourself, this is a problem. I'm not really sure there's very much I can do. Yeah. Was there a particular experience that you had where you thought no i need to do something absolutely about this. absolutely was sam yes so in the summer of um 2019 this would be um xr extinction rebellion moved out of london out of the capital and there were a number of uh, protests were staged in cities around the country and in bristol in july of 19 um i don't know you, you may remember there was a, a pink boat on bristol bridge um, yeah. castle park was covered with tents and there was a load of stuff going on they were blocking the m32 and I was um, working in Bristol at the time thinking, what on earth is going on? Um, various things happened around that time. I mean, the, it was a week, basically, a lovely sunny week. But on the Friday, it was absolutely chucking it down with rain. And the, um, the organisers of XR came up to me because my, my church, St. Stephen's Church, is right in the middle of Bristol. Um, I'm a church warden there. And uh, they needed somewhere to host the, the final closing ceremony of the week. And uh, they, through a number of contacts, they approached us at St. Stephen's. And we said, yeah. So on the Friday, we had this amazing experience of the church absolutely packed out with climate activists, with their flags, with their amazing costumes. There was an orchestra playing. There were singers. Um, and I found it so moving, so powerful. Mm. And that, that really was one of the, 
the big things. A number of things happened after that, which um, just kind of started getting my getting my feelers really up. And uh, you know, one thing was um, at the beginning of 2020. Uh, this is just before the pandemic hit. I don't know if you remember this, but uh, Greta Thunberg came to Bristol and spoke yes. on College Green. So powerful. Again, it was chucking it down with rain and College Green turned into a mud bath. But, <laughs> yeah. but there was something so powerful about the way she was just totally focused on the fact that the climate is changing. It's a crisis. It's not something we can say, oh, yeah, the politicians will deal with it in 10, 20 years time. It's right now. Um, uh, <coughs> I read a book. Um, which I have a copy of, called uh, Time to Act, which was published round about the beginning of 2020, which is the stories of many of these CCA activists, Christian activists, who are in this zone, and the kind of things they were doing, and the kind of things they were teaching. and the, um, It all just came together, is all I can say. And sure. I, I, People talk about a kind of climate conversion um, in, in the same way that people talk about a Christian conversion, or any other kind of conversion. But all these yeah. ideas just, I thought, yeah, we can't ignore this and I mean I've been a Christian since I was a teenager and never really engaged with what we are doing to the planet as human beings we are you know seriously destroying this planet and it's not something that's going to happen in 2050 this is happening right now with the heat waves the floods we have to tackle this human yeah. beings have to tackle this um, yeah. and as a Christian it all just came together with my faith thank you yeah. for, for sharing that what are the key issues that um, CCA are focusing on currently. I know. I think there are four issues, aren't there? That yeah, are the I biggies mean, right now. Probably the one biggest issue right now is this idea of um, the uh, the oil and gas companies. So Shell, BP, all the big names. They are really not taking seriously enough the need to move to renewable energy. I think, I think that's mm. sort of probably clear. I think probably most people would agree with that. Um, without actually sort of saying, oh, yeah, we need to do something about this. Um, so really, I would say the biggest issue right now is for Christian climate action, I would say, is trying to persuade, and this is a bit of a long story, but basically the Church of England has a load of investments in fossil fuel companies. Mm. Now, obviously, we think it would be really good if they divested from fossil fuels, um, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because we feel that the church needs to have a voice needs to be in the arena to be able to speak to governments, to the big fossil fuel companies and to their finance institutions, to speak out against the damage that's being done to the planet and the uh, injustice. And know. this was what the, the action in Wales Cathedral was about yeah, recently, totally. and also at General Synod. General, so, yeah. just to so just to say to people that aren't aware, General Synod is kind of like the National Assembly of the Church of England. Um, because I think synod is such a weird word, isn't it? Totally, yeah. <laughs> a well, weird the language. England but... is full of weird language, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... So, yeah, just last Friday, um, the, obviously the general synod was happening in York, um, mm. uh, Friday, Saturday, and uh, a number of activists from Christian Climate Action were up there in the audience of the, the big sort of, like, conference chamber where they were. And um, during the conference, that one given moment, they, a number of them stood up walked down to the front of the um, arena there in the middle of the conference with all the people sitting around and held up a banner that said, you know, church, churches divest from fossil fuels now or something, one of these um, mm. slogans that, that you see. And, uh, you know, the whole conference came to a halt and people were sort of saying, well, oh, uh, hello, what should we do now? <laughs> and, you know, one of those moments that 
actually those are key moments where you kind of break through the sort of normal admin and the sort of speech politeness <laughs> yeah something changes in the atmosphere and yeah. um and it led to um i mean it was reported quite widely on the kind of christian media and the church times i i don't know it probably hit the local news i'm not i'm not sure but um as a result of that a number of the uh, christian climate action people who were there had a conversation with justin welby the archbishop of canterbury mm. with stephen cottrell the archbishop of york you know, so it, it opened up a space where dialogue happened. Um, who knows where it'll lead, mm -hmm. but it hit, you know, it hit the news to an extent and it, it made people sit up and think, okay, what is going on here? And that, that is a, you know, in terms of the kind of things that Christian climate action do, that, that is pretty much, at, currently that is probably the biggest thing that we are we are doing. You're involved with, yeah. And uh, you're probably aware of the, the Wells Cathedral action that yeah. happened two or three weeks ago. I was personally involved in that and helped to organise the uh, similar event. So at the end of the service, a number of activists went up to the front of the church, in front of the altar, held up these banners um, saying, you know, divest. Uh, one of us, one of the team went up into the pulpit and read out um, a series of um, requests or demands that we we would like the Church of England to take seriously, and that led to, amazingly, that led, led to a meeting with Bishop Ruth, the bishop, current acting bishop of Bath and Wells, mm. um, and a, again a sense of you know dialogue and moving forward, and how can we move forward in terms of our of the Church of England divesting mm. from fossil fuels? So, the, you know, the dialogue is really active at the moment, yeah. which is very encouraging. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Tell us about some of the personalities, some of the people who are full-on throwing themselves into um, the issues that we've been talking about. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's very much um, something that happens, you know, because it, Christian Climate Action is very closely aligned with Extinction Rebellion. We very much believe in the, the place for civil disobedience, for actually, in order to get traction for what you're trying to say, sometimes you have to break the law. And uh, as Christians, you know, that enters a whole kind of controversial area, which um, we can debate a long time. I'm sure people will be happy to do that. But, um, but yeah, no, we, we certainly believe that um, for some people it's right to break the law. And, and because we're totally, as Extinction Rebellion, the same, totally wedded to the idea of non-violence. You know, when I talk about breaking the law, I'm talking about blocking roads or gluing yourself onto a building or everything is non-violent. Um, but having said that, you know, there are laws around, um, you know, blocking the roads and, and all of this. And, uh, you know, within Christian Climate Action, we have roles very much for arrestable and non-arrestable people. So I myself am, am a non-arrestable because of my family situation at the moment. I really don't want to be arrested. Um, so I'm more on the kind of support side. But, yeah, we have, um, for example, we have an 80-year-old um the Rev Sue, the Rev Sue, who is, who is a star. I mean, she mm. just gets arrested all the time. Whenever an opportunity <laughs> comes up, you know, we're, we're on a protest and some people, uh, you know, just want to sort of block whatever is happening or get in the way of some event that's happening just to be able to hold up a banner or glue yourself onto a bit of furniture or whatever you know so wherever that furniture might be exactly so whether um, it's in the courtroom in the court so yep so <laughs> those of us within cca who have gone down that road of being arrestable um you know there are continual um 
you're going to find yourself arrested and taken to a police cell. You're yeah. going to find yourself charged with um, offences from, you know, um, and uh, and in some cases, and certainly the Rev Sue, she's been in and out of court a number of times. Mm. Um, she's not actually been to prison. It's funny, I mean, talking to her, it's almost, that's her ambition in life is to, to be sent to prison. Because, I mean, and, and this gets us on to some of the sort of mentality behind the, the protest movement as a whole. In a way, the more people we can get in prison, the more of an impact we can have on society as a whole, we believe. Um, now, that, um, it's a huge sacrifice. Let's, let's be clear mm. about this. You know, being willing to break the law, to have a criminal record is a huge personal sacrifice. Mm. Um, Sue herself, I mean, she's an amazing person. She is just so sort of like convinced, as we all are, that, that the damage to the planet is intense yeah. and is soon. It's not something vague in the future. It's such a huge thing that it yeah. calls for these sacrifices and, uh, you know, there are a number of people in Christian Climate Action who, who regularly go around that loop of being arrested, of being in court. Yeah. Um, Sue herself has been in court here in Bristol a number of times and in London. And, and when she's hit in court in Bristol, a lot of us go along and we support outside yeah. and we're sort of, we've got the banners outside. And again, that's, that's more publicity. That's raising, yeah. a lot of this, as, as you're aware, I'm sure, is about raising publicity and raising awareness mm. for the climate movement and just saying to people... It's serious, yeah. you know, yeah. it's huge. Um, and yeah. if people want to find out more about mm. all the things, the, all the actions and, and the way to become more involved with Christian, Christian Climate Action, how can they do that? Probably the best way is through the website. If you just Google Christian Climate Action, you'll, you'll get to our website. Um, and uh, loads of information on there, loads of stories of what people have, have been up to, what, peop what the issues are. Um, and what you also find along on there is uh, local groups, and there are local groups all around the country. So uh, I helped to run the the Bristol group, um, and uh, I'd be very happy for you to contact us and uh, get on our list. The book I mentioned earlier, uh, called Time to Act, um, published at the beginning of 2020, containing the stories and um, essays written by uh, climate activists from Christian Climate Action. So powerful. So uh, look out for that book. It's published by SPCK mm. um, in 2020. So, uh, Do people have to, have to have a Christian faith to be involved? Well, to be honest, I mean, the climate movement transcends Christian faith. Absolutely, I mean, it's, it's like yeah. human beings. It's humanity on this planet needs mm. to deal with the climate emergency. Um, we strongly believe that, um, obviously, as Christians... We totally believe that God made the world, this amazing gift that God has given us, and it's beautiful. It's, you know, if somebody gives you an, such an amazing gift, mm. you've really got to look after it. You know, so, so partly as Christians, we're coming from that viewpoint. There's a whole injustice thing going on as well, which I think as human beings, we have this inbuilt sense of, of, of justice and injustice. And the fact that climate change is kind of meted out on the poor and the marginalized and the global south yeah. But it's mainly caused by us in the sort of developed world and the, you know, the fossil fuel world in particular, you know, yeah. the whole injustice of it. So I think as Christians, we feel that very intensely, that sure. sense of creation care and at the same time that sense of injustice. But to be honest, you know, people in Extinction Rebellion have those same driving yeah. sort of aims. And, yeah. you know, as a human being, you can't escape that.
think it's time for a bit of news. But before I do that, um, Sir David Attenborough, who's kind of a bit of a guru for this show and generally in life a bit of a guru, he's been talking recently. So um, I thought I would play what he's been saying. In the last 150 years, the world has warmed on average by just over one degree Celsius. And our atmosphere now contains concentrations of carbon dioxide that have not been equaled for millions of years. We are today perilously close to tipping points that once passed will send global temperatures spiraling catastrophically higher. If we continue on our current path, we will face the collapse of everything that gives us our security. Food production, access to fresh water, habitable ambient temperature, and ocean food chains. And if the natural world can no longer support the most basic of our needs, then much of the rest of civilization will quickly break down. Please make no mistake. Climate change is the biggest threat to security that modern humans have ever faced. There we go, Sir David Attenborough. I'm delighted to introduce our second guest in the studio, John White, the Reverend, even, John White. That's just, there we go, you're on the mic now, wonderful. So, John, you are here representing Hazelnut Community Farm. Yep. What on earth is that about, then? (laughs) So, we are a church that meets in a community garden, and we... Uh, garden as uh, part of our worship and part of our community and part of our uh, care for creation as well. So we're, uh, we grow veg uh, together and we give it away back to the community. Okay, so first off, what do you do when it rains? So we do have some inside spaces <laughs> and polytunnels. So we're basically outside unless it's really raining hard or it's really, really cold. We try and be outside as much as possible. It's all about connecting to nature. Great, wonderful. And where did this concept come from? Well, it actually started a long time ago. I was um, living in Scotland for a while, and uh, my family went out to one of these beautiful kind of ruins of an abbey in uh, the Scottish borders. And they always have these plaques that say what the life of the abbey was like back when it was fully alive. And it was talked about the fact that it grew food, it uh, was the center of medicine and education, that it was a place where sojourners and journeyers could come and stay, brew beer, all these wonderful things. And I thought, that sounds like the way I would like to see church now, rather than just a building that you go to on a Sunday. And, you know, the churches do a lot of stuff, but I I felt like that was something that was literally ingrained right into the community. So I thought a lot about it, and there's a lot written about kind of reimagining monastic rhythms in a more modern context. So, um, yeah, I tried to get things going, tried to imagine it, and a lot of the way I was imagining it was around a building. And then um, a, a couple years ago, I went down to Windmill City Farm, and it was just like a gorgeous day, and the kids were playing. And I looked around, and it just kind of hit me. This is what I've been dreaming about. It was com- it's completely diverse, um, loads of education happening, people growing. And I thought the only difference here is that it just doesn't have a kind of spiritual rhythm associated with it. And that's no criticism of them. That's like the, what, what there is. But I just thought there's a space as well for doing something like that with a Christian focus as well. So we started the process of um, thinking about kind of starting a community farm and realized 
with my skills to go right into farm would be too much. So we started around community gardens. So a couple years ago, we got our first uh, community garden in Lockleys, just off Gainsborough Square. And then we have a second space as well uh, behind Eden Grove Methodist Church up in Upper Horfield. Um, that's uh, quite a much larger space with polytunnels and spaces to gather as well. Wow. And who, who comes along? What sort of people pitch up yeah, to get so, involved? Yeah, so we literally have – the great thing is that I think there's a reality that for some people, stepping into a church is a really tricky space. And, um, you know, kind of um, they feel uncomfortable there, that they can't really fit in there. But a garden's not the same way. So we have a number of people that would say that they don't have a Christian faith but want to be involved in the garden, and that's absolutely fine. Mm. We've got people that are um, on the fringe of church or really just want to be outside rather than go into a church, and that's fine as well. And then recently we've got um, a whole load of folks that have just resettled in Bristol from Hong Kong that have come along. So over half of our community are people that have only lived in Bristol for less than a year that have uh, moved over from Hong Kong. And what we found is that um, I could never have thought to make a community that would be welcoming to Hong Kongers in the way that we have, but um, with them coming over, Hong Kong is so overdeveloped, which I do believe is a cautionary tale for Bristol as we continue to build on every available <laughs> piece of green greenery. Um, and they just love coming along and being in the garden with us. So what we're trying to do is really wrap it in and create home for everyone and not uh, see a distinction between you're from Hong Kong, you're Christian, you're not, but everyone's welcome and can find a place and a home on our space. And these are, uh, I'm thinking, families. So you've got kids catching up. What are they able to do? So, I mean... uh, a lot of it is they just go kind of feral. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's not a lot of spaces nowadays. Where, you know, you go into church and you're kind of shushed or whatever, or yeah. there's lots of wonderful things, but it's quite structured. It's, um, it's a place for kids to run around and go, go a bit crazy, but they also make crafts with us. They engage with gardening to the level that they want to. They love to harvest the food with us and eat together, and there's loads for them to do, and I think they feel that it's kind of a, a place of freedom for young people yeah. as well. And also, we don't do anything that kind of – we don't – kind of say this next thing we're going to do is for adults and this is for kids. We kind of say you can do what you want to do. So there's loads of adults that come and they're like, you know what, I want to do a craft or I want to go and garden kind of in a corner and just be a bit quiet today. And that's fine. You can be able to do that. So rather than uh, maybe a traditional church where you sit and you have to do what everyone else is doing, here you can kind of choose your own adventure in the garden and, and kind of choose the way it suits you and what you need for that day. That's lovely. Where do you get your resources from? Because it costs money to kind of buy seeds and all of that stuff. How does that work? Yeah, so we, um, oh, we are kind of one of the ideas for us is that we really want to take and upcycle and recycle as much as possible. So a lot of our tools and things like that are all from people's garages that they've given to us. Um, we do um, apply for grants and people give donations to us, and that's really helpful. Um, unfortunately, money is always kind of a a thing, especially as we're growing quite quickly. Mm. So we're always welcoming donations. Um, and that's always really helpful. Yeah. yeah. Tell us about the big harvest. Yeah, so traditionally, the Church of England especially, but I think a lot of different denominations as well, will celebrate harvest in October. And this really is supposed to be a celebration of all the harvest and hard work that's gone in. It's really connected to land. But I think what's happened is our culture has lost the image of land and creation because we don't need it anymore. We can just, you know, work as late as we want with our lights on, go down to Tesco, get a pack of chicken, you know. And so we're, not, we're, con- we're disconnected from the rhythms of the land. And what we're trying to say is if we really want to care for climate emergency, we need to reimagine and refine land and the beauty of creation, not just 
on holiday in beautiful spaces, but the rhythms of season and land. And so the idea of the har- big harvest is to encourage a church to go back to seeing uh, seeing the harvest as a celebration of what you've actually done in the land. So we're encouraging people to plant seeds, to grow food, to give it away to their community, to give it away to their neighbors, and then harvest becomes a time of celebration for what you've done. So it really is finding, again, what the true meaning of harvest is meant to be. This is, um, to my mind, quite an ambitious project. You've got two sites. What have you found personally? What have the challenges been for you? How... how have there been some difficult moments? Yeah, I think um, uh, any gardener would. I mean, it, there's literally there's small struggles that any gardener would know about. I mean, what you read slugs from, maybe. I don't well, know. Well, I was going to say you read from the <laughs> almanac, and you're like, now's a great time for bok choy. Well, our slugs love <laughs> bok choy. Literally, have just consumed. We can't br- grow brassicas on our site because really? the slugs just destroy them. But we have other wonderful <laughs> veggies as well. Um, yeah, so those are little things that are those are real <laughs> real things. I think. Um, also, there's just, um, you know, how do you um, create a space that is really welcoming for people to grow at the level that they can grow at? So yeah. I think we're really trying to welcome people. If they need to come and just sit and have a conversation or a cup of tea, they can do that as well. Yeah. And so we're not pushing people to have to work really hard, but with the realization that work does have to happen as well. Yeah. I think the reality is the church is not really accepting it, but when we first started, I think it took a long time to warm them up because yeah. the people were just like, well, what is this kind of crazy thing? <laughs> but I think it helped once we actually got land and we could show what we were doing, then um, support came really quite quickly. And we've had we've had great support from uh, Diocese of Bristol, and they've been really supportive of us. So, And what's the best thing for you? Because this, this takes up the majority of your time now, doesn't it, your yeah. working time? So I do this full time. Well, I think it's been um, – I think there's – that there's the beauty in the land and there's beauty in the people. So, you know, there's a lot of times where I'll go up and water the site and just kind of stop and sit down and remember just to enjoy the beauty of it. And and I can see, you know, that rose over there. I know who planted that. I know these beds. I know this piece of land. And um, there's peace and there's anchoring in it, especially in crazy times that are around there to be anchored back into the land. Is, I find there's a beauty in it that just settles me. Um you know, seeing the birds come, the foxes emerge as I'm sitting there quietly. But also we have, like, someone from, uh, one of our new members from Hong Kong came up to me the other day and just said, John, thank you so much for um, welcoming me and making me feel at home in a new country. To me, that's, 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 that's why we do it, to, yeah. to, make, to create home for people and create peace for people. Um, the other thing, though, is that we're, just, we're much more um, than just a local thing as well. We're a whole network now, so we have a big conference happening over mm. the next two days of speakers from around the world like like you said even when you read from the Algemanac this is like a worldwide issue so we've got speakers from the Netherlands from Canada from America from the uh, from Congo from all these places that are feeding into it as well which is really exciting we've got 13 different growing spaces across the UK now where they're growing and um, part of what we call the growing collective so there's a load of really fun and unique things that are happening and really we just think kind of the adventure is just starting and we're um, yeah wanting to yeah, become people of land again. That's really exciting. How fantastic. Well yeah. done. Okay, so if people want to find out more, where can they get information from? Go to our website, www.hazelnutcommunityfarm.com, and we've got everything up there. Wonderful. Thank you very much, John White, for coming mm. in today. Now, let's have some events. There is an organization called Plant Based Universities, and they are hosting a free summer camp for all UK uni students who are passionate about animal, environmental and social justice. 
And this, um, this sounds great. If you're a student and you've come to the end of your term, which most people will have done by now, and you've got a bit of time over the summer, this is coming up, I believe it's the beginning of August, and they will have team building workshops, um, campaign workshops, action planning, yoga, of course, campfires, and even vegan marshmallows. So, you know, got to be a good thing. It's happening in the Leicester area, and there are 100 places. If you Google plant-based universities, you will come. You will see their information. And if you have got a bit of time, you haven't managed to get a job, or you're just kicking your heels, staying with the parents maybe, and you quite like to get out and do something with like-minded people, that sounds like a really good thing to do. So I'm just going to... Um, on the fly here, have a little chat with my guests who are still in the studio, John White and Dave Mitchell. So what I want to ask you is, what do you do on a daily basis to honour the planet? How do you Hmm. engage with climate change on a practical level on a daily basis? I'm really dropping you in it here. Hmm. Should I go first? I think you better. Um, (laughs) Well, I think that I heard someone actually say in one of these, these like eco movies that if you only think about net zero, um, which I think is good work, there's no question about it, but it's all about diminishing. It's what, how do we stop doing what we do? How do we recycle more? This is all really good work. But at some point, you can take it to how do we do anything because actually our presence on this earth is just creating chaos and problems. And what he was saying is like instead, let's engage with that kind of permaculture principles and create beautiful spaces that sequester carbon and create positive spaces rather than just see it as a negative thing. So I think that actually creating gardens is a powerful tool of creating beautiful, positive spaces that sequester carbon and reach those goals without seeing it just from a negative perspective. Um, what does sequester mean? Just remind us. So, just, <laughs> so the greatest um, holder of carbon is actually soil. So okay. when we um, strip soil of its nutrients, we release carbon into the air. Okay. You create beautiful grasses and... Um, biodiverse land you actually hold return carbon back into the ah. soil and create beautiful spaces that work with bees and animals but they also hold carbon as well okay and humans love it human anxiety comes down yeah. engagement goes up and so it's like let's create beautiful spaces that are engaging um yeah. and that's kind of a i think a radical voice that is added into the mix of things like net zero which is important yeah what about you, Dave? Any thoughts? Yeah, I think for me, um, I mean, that's lovely what you said there, John, and it's really inspiring. And I think, um, you know, I love it when people have stories of what they are doing to discover more about the natural world or to save some bit of land or, you know, that's lovely. And I I am seriously, you know, I, I do, I, I recycle stuff, you know, you, everyone has to do their bit. But beyond that, I think the big thing that needs to happen is people need to be more aware of the need for system system change and governments to actually act and do stuff because mm. you know even if we all recycle everything from now on and we you know use renewable this and that and the other we're not going to fix it because the problem is just too huge and i think it's one of those problems it's so huge people can't imagine what it is they can't get their heads around it so i think for me that's my day-to-day sort of just trying to think how we can get it out there so that the UK government, for example, thinks, oh, my goodness, we can't just keep pumping money into this. Something has to has to give. We yeah. haven't got time to do all the kind of political discussions and, you know, maybe in sort of like 60 years' time we'll have it sorted. We haven't got 60 years. We've got like about five. Um, 
Yeah. You know, so it's, it's kind of getting my head around that and trying to raise that awareness is, is the only thing that I feel, for me, I need to do. And um, it must be quite tough because, you know, I think about all the energy that went into COP 20... Was it six, six. or nine? Yeah, COP six. 26. Glasgow, yeah. um, and actually, that was quite a disappointment, wasn't it? It was, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, as an activist, I have to say that for me, being an activist is kind of... What's that quote? You know, hope is not just sitting on the sofa feeling sorry for yourself. Hope is an axe that you pick up and bash the door down. You know, you you can easily lose hope mm. by just focusing on things like, oh dear, that that was a bit of a damp squib or whatever. But somehow, by even just being on the streets, and I I, I know this for a lot of people, people have issues with the whole kind of civil disobedience. But just being on the street and trying to raise awareness for me that is that creates hope that creates mm. okay we can change this mm. uh, i mean okay you, you need like millions of people on the street to really make change mm. but mm. Th there's always hope well there's two or three people just out there doing something for me that's that is hope um next week we are going to be i'm going to have um two more guests in the studio stepping sisters who are a black walking group who um, have a thing about going out into the great outdoors. And the whole, um, the whole show next week is looking at the impact of nature on our mental health. And we've covered that a little bit today, but we're going to look at that, how it makes us feel when we're out in the great outdoors. So do, um, do come back next week for 11 o'clock. You've been listening to BCFM. I have been and will continue to be Sam Sayer. Um, see you very soon. Take care.